Good morning. I, I too would like to thank everyone, uh, welcome everyone to worship this morning. Uh, it's a joy, uh, always this time of year, I guess because of the Thanksgiving holidays. I look out in the congregation and I see uh, many former students, uh, some from recently and some from eight, nine, ten years ago even. So uh, it is uh, a great privilege and, and joy to be up here and, and to look out and see uh, many uh, familiar faces. So welcome to worship. Uh, at this time, you can open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 944. This morning, our series on the order of salvation ends. In the last few months, uh, we have learned that our election as God's people was before the world was created. Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 4 reminds us of that. That regeneration happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. The heart of stone is removed and we're given a heart of flesh. We learn about conversion, faith, and repentance. Justification is the legal declaration by God that we are not guilty. Adoption is the act of being brought into the family of God. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we learned about perseverance, enduring to the end, that our salvation is more than saying a prayer when we're young and in high school and just doing whatever we want and hoping that that's enough. That those who are in Christ will endure to the end. So this morning, we come and we will look at glorification. And glorification is the goal for the elect people of God. The Christian was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world with glorification in mind. Glorification will be the completion of our sanctification. We will be like Jesus. And as we consider this, I think a point of clarification is helpful because there is some confusion as to when glorification will occur. When a Christian dies, before Jesus returns, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us that we are in the presence of the Lord, but we are away from our body. It is the spirit of the believer that is in the presence of the Lord when we die. We will not have a body. Death and the spirit going into the presence of the Lord is highly individualized. Glorification is something that all the people of God, from Abraham to Augustine to John Calvin to the present-day Christian, will experience together at the exact same time. So when will this happen? Glorification will not take place until Jesus returns. So with these things in mind, 
Let us read Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 25. This is the eternal word of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let us pray. Oh Father, we we come before You with humble hearts, knowing that Your mercies are made new every morning. Oh Lord, now we ask that Your Spirit would come. Lord, that You would give us ears to hear hearts to listen. And Lord, that during this time that I would decrease, that You would increase. And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. It is in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So, is it worth it? Life is hard. And because of sin, we've all had various trials in our life. We have suffered. And I am not immune to suffering. I read these words from my sister Renee in a letter she left our family. She wrote, This is not a joke. I am dead. I have lied to most of you about many things. I don't even know who I told what anymore. I'm checking out. And that's a very, very small part of a six-page letter that she left our family. And she took her life May 31st, 2001. In May of 2009... I received the news that my dad had passed away from early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 65. For years, I watched him deteriorate through conversations from afar. He was in Tampa, Florida. In February of 2009, that was my last time with him. I spent a couple hours praying for him singing hymns over him. 
And some of us can share similar stories. Some have suffered more. Some have suffered less. The point is that to some degree or the other, we all feel the weight of sin and see the effect of sin in all aspects of life, relationally, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. And our text teaches us that the pathway to glorification is through suffering. Verse 17, And of children than heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Jesus did not pull any punches. He was straight up with us. He told us to count the cost of following Him. He told us to expect persecution, expect opposition, expect trials, expect temptation and rejection for being a Christian. When the Lord saved me when I was in ninth grade, I, I experienced that too. My friends, the guys I'd grown up with since elementary school, spent countless hours with, all of a sudden I was the Christian. We suffer. Life is hard. And the natural response is to think, I have to suffer to be glorified? don't know about that the hardship the difficulty of life begs the question is it worth it and as we consider this as we think about that a common theme in the epistles of the new testament is the writers anticipating our questions our fears our doubts and complaints And of course they do, right? Because God knows us. He made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the authors wrote by the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And their surrounding chapters in Romans alone, we see Paul do this time and time again. In Romans chapter 4 and 5, we are told that salvation is all about the grace of God. It is nothing that we do. And Paul knows our immediate thoughts. It's all about grace. I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Romans chapter 7. Paul shares about a struggle with sin and how he keeps on sinning. And we read that, we think, if Paul struggles with sin, what chance do I have? Oh, the hopelessness. Then Paul asks in verse 24, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 9, it's about election and predestination. And our immediate reaction to that is, that's not fair. God would never do that. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. 
And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So in our text, it's somewhat surprising that Paul doesn't say at the end of verse 17, what shall we say then? Is it worth it? It's not there, but what? He anticipates that very response and feeling from us in verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So is it worth it? Not even close. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul says something very similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yes, we suffer. And our bodies are are wasting away. Each and every person is a second older than a second ago. But remember, no matter how severe the suffering you've experienced, are experiencing, or will experience, what awaits the Christian is worth it. And the end is really the beginning. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in The Last Battle which is the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. Lewis writes, And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say, they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the only, only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. A beautiful reminder that the end is really the beginning. And every chapter is better than the one before. So yes, it is worth it. The next, what will happen? Country singer Kenny Chesney sings, Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. I think that's true for many Christians, especially Americans. We have been blessed with so much, all the money, all the material things, and it makes us think, what possibly could be better than the life that we have now. The misunderstanding of what will happen. The thought of of sitting on a cloud playing a harp or continually singing Amazing Grace. It makes the new heavens and the new earth even less appealing. Others are, are prone to worry about the loss of things from this life. So what will happen? Scripture's not silent. It gives us some insight. Our text here, the first thing we learn is that creation will be renewed. Glorification is not limited to God's people. And at times we're so focused on ourselves that we forget that creation was affected by sin as well. 
all of creation, the birds, the fish, all the animals, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, the flowers, and on and on and on. They wait, as our text says, with eager longing. In verses 20 and 21, Paul says that creation was subjected to futility, but creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Creation is longing and groaning for Jesus to return. And God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And some have thought that the new heavens and the new earth will be an entirely new world with no connection with the old. Why would creation be longing and groaning if it's going to be completely wiped out? Other parts of Scripture bring some more clarity. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. And so, so often like, we read that, we see that, but we read it this way. And we think, I am making all new things. No! God said, I am making all things new. The things are already here. Peter uses the language of purification in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the picture there is one of refinement. One using fire to refine gold, removing all the impurities. All the decay and dross of sin will be removed from creation. Swiss theologian Emil Brunner says, It is these forests, these fields, these cities, these streets, these people that will be the scene of redemption. At present day, they are battlefields full of the strife and sorrow of the not yet accomplished consummation. Then they will be fields of victory, fields of harvest, where out of the seed that was sown with tears, the everlasting sheaves will be reaped and brought home. The universe is going to be reborn, but it is going to be this universe rather than a new one. And many of its features will be immediately recognizable. Think of your favorite tree in your yard. Your favorite mountain view. Your favorite beach. Your favorite animal. Your favorite city. However gorgeous, however stunning, however beautiful, however majestic it may be, it does not compare to what that particular tree, that particular animal, that particular place will look like in its glorified state. Now we know why Paul says there's no comparison. And we haven't even talked about us yet. What will we be like? Verse 23, Paul says that we wait eagerly for redemption, the glorification of our bodies. Our current bodies grow frail and decay. They wear out. Bits and pieces no longer work. Some parts have been replaced. I have another person's ligament in my knee right now. For some people, every day in their, their current body is a struggle. And others may have a disease that makes life a daily torture. But all of that is going to change when we receive a new body. 
Our new bodies will be the same, but they will be different. As to what our new uh, bodies will be like, Scripture again gives us some insight on the different differences. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, Our present body is perishable. Our new body will be imperishable. Our present body is dishonorable. Our new body will be glorious. Our present body is weak. Our new body will be powerful. Our present body is natural. Our new body is spiritual. Philippians 3.21 says that God will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And the body of the resurrected Jesus gives us more understanding on the, uh, on the similarities. Jesus' resurrected body still had the marks of the crucifixion. Jesus ate food after His resurrection. So there will be continuity between our old and new bodies and what they can do. And the best part of it is this, that our glorified bodies will be in the presence of our Savior. We will see Him face to face and we will worship Him. We will enjoy a glorified creation, have glorified bodies that will last forever. And all of life will be an act of worship to the One who is due all honor and praise. Having experienced the grace of the Gospel and removal of sin, worship will be a natural reflex. And finally, glorification gives us insight into God's plan of salvation. Why were we saved? God's eternal plan and, and, and story have been unfolding since He elected a people for Himself before the world was created. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus secured our salvation. But again, why were we saved? Verse 24 tells us this, For in this hope we were saved. Our salvation is about the hope of glorification. The Christian life is a life of hope. A glorified creation, a glorified body, and being in the presence of the Lord forever are things worth living for. It is the goal of our salvation. A hope knowing that God will be our God and we will be His people. A hope that Jesus, the Lamb of God, will be there and we will praise Him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And sure, we can't see it. Seems hard to believe at times. Doubt may creep in. But Paul tells us what? Hope that is seen is not hope. If you could see it, see what's coming, that would take away from the excitement. That would take away from the anticipation. That would take away from the longing. And just as the groom waits for his bride to walk down the aisle in anticipation on their wedding day, or children wait to open presents on Christmas morning, not knowing what lies beneath the wrapping paper. We have this hope, the hope of glorification, and we wait for it with patience. Christian, I tell you this with full confidence. It is going to happen. 
And it is the reason that we were saved. Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said this, We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. May we live with such hope and anticipation that overflows into all parts of our lives. Peter tells us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Glorification is that reason. And as we consider glorification, and we think about it and what's involved, I must say this. This hope that awaits the glorified creation, the glorified body, is only for the people of God. The Christian. Those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those with new hearts. Transformed lives. And as David reminded us last week, those who persevere to the end. I shared some of the suffering in life that I have dealt with. But you know what the most difficult part for me in that suffering is? Is the very real possibility that my sister and my dad will not be there. It's hard to think that I most likely will not see them again. Both wanted nothing to do with Jesus My sister wrote of reincarnation in her goodbye letter. And of course, and it's been told to me many times, it's easy to say and thank you never know what God can do. But I also know what Scripture says about how salvation occurs. Therefore, I make this plea to you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, may today be the day of salvation. Jesus came to give us life. And not just life, but life to the fullest. Look to Him and Him alone for your salvation with a hope of glorification that's before you. I conclude with this story. This is a true story. A minister frequently visited the children with Down syndrome at a home supported by the, uh, the Moody Bible Institute. One day, the building manager came to the minister and asked, Do you know what our number one maintenance request is in this building? The minister replied that he had no idea. The building manager said, Is that we clean the windows on the east side of the building. He explained that every morning, the children wake up, they go to the window, and they press their hands and faces against the window because they know that the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, He is coming from the east and they are looking for Him every morning. Matthew twenty four twenty seven says, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What an example for us to imitate. 
May we all be constantly looking eastward, ready and waiting for Him to return. Because it will be worth it. And the hope of glorification is the reason that we were saved. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for Your goodness to us. And Lord, may we live in light of this hope. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us grace and be with us. In Jesus' name, Amen.